0: What's going on world? You're here with me, Patrick Young, the host of The Young and the Rowdies, striving to be the number one college basketball podcast in the world, in the nation, I should say. Uh, Anyways, thank you guys so much for joining me in this journey where I'm getting a chance to interview so many uh, people that have had a hand in Florida Gator basketball, whether current or former. It has been so fun just going back, reminiscing and talking about what they're doing now. I'm all the way over here in Athens, Greece, and thanks to the, the people at the Field of 68 Media Network, they have made this possible. First, I want to thank again, I want to thank you guys so much for uh, continuing to inspire me and in the, the reviews that I'm seeing. I think we're only a few episodes in so far, but uh, you have continued to inspire me. Uh, this review here from Loomby Master uh, said so If you like talking basketball, then this is the podcast for you. Patrick Young does a great job of interviewing high profile guests. Not talking hype, but keeps it real. Thank you, Loomby Master. I really appreciate it. I'm just doing my best to give the people what they want. If you could just do us a favor and share, subscribe, like, review, uh, you can find us on Apple and Spotify. Just so thankful to be a part of this journey. Anyways, our next guest, um, he was the very first, trivia question, the very first recruit by Billy Donovan in his tenure. If you can guess it, I'll give you – a million dollars. You're just kidding. I won't do that. But anyways, I'm so excited. A little bit of controversy behind his name, but I have to tell you, this man has done a tremendous job of transforming his life. Uh, disservice to the world that he didn't get a chance to play his style of play in this current age, because I tell you, this guy could really, really get it up. And Without further ado, here's our guest, Teddy DuPay. Thrilled to have the very first recruit of Billy Donovan. Teddy DuPay on the show today. Uh, It has been a while since I've seen my friend. How are you doing, my guy? It is awesome to have this opportunity to have you on the show.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you're doing this. It's good to see you. And uh, I'm just so proud of you. You know, you know how much I think of you. You know, as a person, we've had a lot of interaction after basketball at Florida. And, um, you know, we spent time, you know, training at IMG. We spent time coming back off injuries, really working on your shot. And so uh, just knowing what a good guy you were, you came to our camps, you worked with our kids. Um, You know, you've just been a big part of of what I've been doing after basketball and anything I can do to help you, um, you know, I'll always be there for you, buddy. Help, I mean, you know, at this this point in my career with all the injuries, you know, I'm starting
0: to think about that, that, uh, you know, next step turning the corner and um, really a person like you that has found just such a fulfillment and and a purpose and a uh, a vision for for what you're doing right, right now, uh, definitely something I can get on board with. I mean, anybody that I can see, like it's not a job; it's it's uh, it's life. You're doing life with these kids that you're getting a chance to 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 train and and shoot like you, or you know, the best they can to learn how to shoot like <laughs> you. I know, right, man. Goodness gracious! But um, how are you been? I know you're down in Tampa with the academy. How was this year? Uh, been treating you this very
1: strange year? So it has been a strange year, um, but they, they really all are. And I, I think that's one of the things that, you know, we learned just always get better, you know, no matter what comes your way, you know, control the things you control. Very frustrating at times when they would shut us down. They'd lock us out of gyms. You know, around here, we have even have a very liberal mayor. She even took the rims off the backboards at the parks. You know what I mean? So... <laughs> I was getting rims. I would go door to door and I would ask people who looked like they had an old rim. Maybe their kids were there and say, Hey, can I buy your basketball rim? I'd take it off their outdoor goal and I'd go put it back up several run-ins with police uh, security guys. And every time I just said, Hey, look, you know, are you going to be the one that tells these kids they can't play out here? So I'd stand in my car. I'd put, And you know, these basketball hoops that you have in your front yard, they don't have the same square as the outdoor goals. They're much bigger. So I had to go to hardware stores, Jimmy rig it up, put little attachments up there. So, um, you know, we had some kids that, that really stuck with it and got a lot better during that period. And then I made a business decision to continue marketing through the shutdown. So I continued to promote our stuff. I did have to cancel probably like 10, 12 events. It cost me a lot of money no big deal. Right. And then when we started back up, my church was great. We started back up in May. We had a full summer camp schedule. We did eight summer camps. We trained 52 weeks a year. We don't take really any time off at all. And so we've been something that's been great for the kids who, you know, want to express being an American. They chose to come. They listened to the science. Kids are safe. They didn't watch the TV and the news and let these guys, you know, now people can see it's pretty clear to everybody now what they do. But back then, everybody was scared to death. And so for these families, they trusted me. My dad's a doctor. My two sisters are doctors. I did the due diligence. I looked at the real numbers. It was very obvious that kids are safe. Um, And exercising is the best thing that you can do. So we were jam-packed. We had a great time. We've had zero incidents. And our business has actually grown and thrived through this um, time when a lot of businesses haven't. And so I'm really proud of that. Yeah. especially because what we do is we actually provide a real service to kids in the community. And, um, to be able to continue to do that, you know, it, it, it's been just incredible, you know, the changing lives, kids are getting better. Several of our kids are now signing scholarships. We have a girl yeah. going to Georgia state, another girl going out to Tennessee. Somebody just signed at Jacksonville. We've got a guy at Notre Dame. So now all the, uh, we got a guy going to USC to play football and basketball. He's amazing. So what's happening now is all the hard work we've, we've been planting those seeds for, for seven years now. We're coming up on our 7,000, 7,000 training sessions.
0: Wow.
1: Um, We've done uh, with camp, Cinevent, I mean, it's just incredible. And so now you're seeing these kids really separate themselves from the pack and, um, you know, I'm just really, really excited for the future. You know, we've been able to grow through this shutdown. We didn't let it beat us down and, um, you know, we've kind of really, really established ourselves as a leader in this community.
0: Yeah, I mean, you hit on some good points. I mean, initially in the country, everybody didn't know what to expect. And there was a big, uh, large reaction. And not that there shouldn't be some, you know, serious to that, because we don't exactly know what's going on. But, you know, I think it, it goes back to your, your competitive nature of how can I adjust? You know, this is not the same exact competition that evolved, but it's like a competition with yourself and your business of how, how can I continue to pour into these kids and not just, you know, complain and point the finger and this and that, what can I do to respect what's going on? But also, cause it's like, you know, you as you know, our basketball lives are so short, you know, we have, we, you know, you live 80, 90 years, you play basketball when you're start, when you're young, if you have an ideal dream of playing to thirty 35 40, that's awesome, power to you. But then, you know, you got the rest of your life to live. Uh, but that drive usually stays in you. How can you evolve it and, and figure out what's next? But uh, I wanted to get into a uh, little bit of your upbringing, man, you know what? How, you know, tell me about how you discovered basketball. How did that, how did, how did it start for you?
1: Um, so growing up, well, first off, God has given me so much athletic ability. You know, when you look at me, it's very easy And people have done it my whole life, you know, to underestimate me or to kind of bundle me into that little white guy role, you know, guy. And from an athletic standpoint, jumping, running, playing baseball, playing soccer, playing ping pong, throwing football, God gave me so much thinking ability. I'm just short. You know, that's all there is to it. I'm just a little guy. Um, But basketball was the one sport growing up the one because I played tennis too. I was the top player in the state when I was young. I played golf. I play everything, but basketball was the one team sport. The only one where truly one person could ensure the victory, you know, baseball, I could pitch a one hitter and guys make errors. Football, you play half the time. You can only score so many touchdowns, soccer, you know, whatever it is. Basketball is the one team sport where no matter who you put on my team, I know I'm going to win. And it just appealed to me. You know, I grew up in Flint, Michigan. Um, my dad had me, who he was still in school. So I lived there till I was about 10 years old. Um, I lived in an all-black neighborhood. I was the only white kid there. Um, same thing in my schools. You know, one of the great stories my mom tells is when I was little, in our first school in Cincinnati, we were moving around. Uh, you know, I was having a hard time adjusting. She just told me, don't worry about it. Um, but I remember the day we played basketball, she said, I came home. I was the only one that could make a shot. All the kids wanted to be my friend then, you know, whereas otherwise, you know, I was a white kid. You know, I had to fend for myself. It was, you know, I was the only kid in the whole school. So um, I understand that dynamic a little bit more than other people might. You know, and then I came to Florida. My dad got out of school. We moved to Fort Myers and um, you know, just really continued to thrive in sports and when I was in third grade, he put me in the eighth grade leagues when I was the same thing all the way through fifth grade. I'm playing in men's leagues. And when I got to eighth grade, I uh, was really I mean, I grew quick, too. I was this size. And at the end of sixth grade, I started sixth grade at 410. I finished 510. You know, I could dunk a basketball in seventh grade. Well, so it was pretty. Yeah, it was just amazing You know how quick I grew. Then my dad started taking me to Miami one time at the city of Palms in Fort Myers, the biggest tournament there, there is for high school basketball. I was a ball boy for that. Since I was a little kid, I'd watch every game. And then one time our YBA team got to play one quarter at halftime in one of the games. And I think I scored like 32 points or something. And so the next thing I know, my dad was sitting with shaky Rodriguez, Frank Martin, Bernard, Wright, And I started going down to Miami high to play. And that's why I met Brent Wright. At the time I met Brent Wright, he was about six foot tall and had a broken hand. My dad looked at it, he punched somebody. Uh, that was in the summer. Next summer, I went back in ninth grade, he was six foot nine, and he was terrific. Um, I continued to go to Miami to play, just getting my head kicked in, but really developing the relationship with those guys. And so I uh, went to Mariner High School, uh, started as a freshman, was all-state all as a freshman. Our team was really, really good. Um, you know, several Division One players. That year, we lost in the quarterfinals of the state to Bradenton Southeast. They had Peter Work. They went 35-0. 15-0 in football. He was Mr. Football. 35-0 in basketball. He was Mr. Basketball. They beat us at their place, 101-96. The next year, we brought everybody back. Uh, we got up to as high as number six in the country. We ended up losing in the finals of the state, two or three bad injuries in the semifinals. We still should have won, um, but we lost to uh, Daytona Beach Mainland. Then um, Coach Maloney, left to go to the University of Buffalo. And it was during that sophomore year, Billy Donovan got the job at Florida. So I was uh, 16. I remember watching the press conference. I was just thought I was going to go to Duke. And, um, you know, that was just where I was going to go. But Billy got the job. And I remember, like, the very next day, you know, there it was. You know, I guess Coach Maloney had told him, and there he was. And he told me, uh, hey, look, you know, I'm going to recruit the state. That's what I'm going to do. We're going to play fast. We're going to press, we're going to be ultra aggressive, but nobody wants to come to Florida because it's just not a cool choice. So, if I would commit early as a 10th grader, it would open the door for other people to consider us. And so I end up doing that. He's like, Look, you can be another guy at Duke, or you can be the very first guy at the University of Florida. We could build this program together. Man, it just sounded so good to me. And so, um, you know, at the time, nobody knew who I was. I mean, I was on the map for like rankings and stupid stuff like that. But also at the time, Billy was 29 years old. So, you know, they, the first two years I committed, we started recruiting other guys. But those first two years at Florida, I remember watching the program, um, they lost, you know, they weren't very good. And I remember when I got there, there was so much pressure on us and pressure on Billy. I mean, he was on the hot seat. You know, we had a great recruiting class, but, you know, here he is. He's a young coach. They lose their first two years. He recruits this little white guy. You know, we had good guys like Udonis and Brent and Major, but they weren't highly rated. They weren't high-ranked guys, you know, they, but then um, we came in, and we made a big-time impact. You know, we went to the Sweet 16 our first year, uh, brought everybody back. The next year, we were at the very tippy-top. I got a funny story, Maui. Oh, jeez, Maui, uh, Maui, <laughs> I thought um. the year. But – Yeah, that year we went and, and, you know, we were one of the best teams in the country. Went to the Final Four, lost in the finals. Probably should have won that game. Um, But again, just, you know, my whole life has been about trying to be the best. You know, winning. There's a skill to winning. You know, I made a living out of beating players that were better than me. And that's what I teach kids. You know, basketball is one thing, but that's how we get them in the gym. Everybody wants to get better at basketball. uh, But I teach them how to win. You know, they're not going to all be professional basketball players. Maybe none of them will be but they're all going to be professional somethings. And I think it's really important to try and be the best. And yeah. the same way you're the best at whatever it is you choose to do is the same way to be the best at basketball. It's the same way to get the good grades, you know, same way to be a leader in times of adversity, like this, uh, like this shutdown thing. You,
0: know, you, can't, yeah.
1: you can't just bow down because some person on TV tells you to, you, know, you can't just do that. And so it's not about being a, a, a define or a protester or a resistor, but it's about standing up for what, you know, absolutely to be right. And that's what, you know, we've been doing. And that's something I learned when I was little, something that served me my whole life. And it's something I do now and trying to pass that along as a legacy to kids.
0: Yeah. Well, you, you just answered like um, 15 of my questions. (laughs) (laughs) Interview over. Just kidding. Um, I wanted to get into taking you back to where you said uh, your freshman year that you knew you were at at a really good team, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, People don't know, uh, you know, I can't remember the exact number. Chris Harry told me he, he told, tried to tell you what uh, – he wrongly told you how many points you scored in high school and you had to correct him. <laughs> but as a yeah. freshman, you averaged 20 points a game. Yeah. And you know, a lot of guys come in as a freshman and they, you know, they can't even get their head on straight. You know, how did you, you know, have that confidence – you know, where did it come from that you know, starting as a freshman that I can be that guy, you know, a guy that's averaging 20 points a game is usually on, on, you know, on the average team is that guy like you knew straight coming in that I'm, I'm the one that can be the difference maker. Like you said, the one that can uh, impact the game for winning if it comes down to it.
1: Well, several things. Again, I was already basically a grown man. Physically, so I could physically compete with the older kids. You know, I was playing against men for a long time. I think that has a lot to do with it. You know, when you come in, some kids don't go through – that's what makes youth basketball so crappy to me. It's really about who has the most kids who have gone through puberty. Yeah. Five-foot-nine sinners. They don't let the kid come outside and handle the ball, but he's got a full beard already. He's not going to be a big man. So that's where these crooked people in the AU really screw kids over. Never happened to me. You know, I always got to have the ball. On that team, we had a guy, John Weston, who went to the Naval Academy, 6'8 guy, would run the floor. And a guy, Ryan Hersek, went to Florida Atlantic. He's now the coach at my old high school. We had a guy, Fred Atkins. He went to uh, Bradley. Uh, We had a guy, Mike O'Neill, 7-footer, that went to Colorado State. We had a guy, Robinson Tismi, who went to Townsend State and then ended up Santa Fe Community College. Another 6'7, 6'8 guy. Ernest Graham was on the team with me. Uh, Guy Noel West was on the team with us. I was not the leading scorer. I averaged like 12 or 13 assists a game. Uh, that wow. season. You know, We really played fast. It was kicking up the court. You know, I had great players around me. Uh, they had all young guys, juniors. Their point guard had left the year before, so it was a void there. So it was good timing, good luck. And I had a coach who let me earn the position. There was a guy in line who uh, was an all-state football player, would have been the next point guard, you know, at the school. But he gave me a chance to earn the position, and um, I took it to him. Took yeah him every single day yeah, he probably had no idea <laughs> so you were like oh
0: yeah, sir well
1: we took his will once
0: yeah like, he I, want
1: I, as 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 I live for this yeah he didn't want it as bad as me and um you know that's the thing is you know so competitive it gets uncomfortable competitive people decide not to try because it's just not worth it um you know it, it's like even with board games it's weird the 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 resonance gets going, everything goes my way. And, um, you know, I've made some silly mistakes and things like that, but when you really look at it, I mean, at every opportunity, we've been able to either bounce back from something really tough. We've done some enormous, enormous things, you know, on a national and a global scale, like what we do with the Guinness Book of World Records, over a million dollars for the kids in Puerto Rico after the hurricanes. Um, you know, the stuff like scoring. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm still the all time leading scorer in Florida. You know, that record will never be broken. And I averaged 42 points a game my senior year. I think it's like 3,744, you know, with Chris Harry, you know, I averaged 41.4 is what I averaged. And the rule between people that average 40 points a game is if somebody says a little lower, you correct them up. But right. if somebody was like, then you average like 45 points a game? You're supposed to say, yeah, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Only correct day. if they're lower. It's it's a it's kind of like a fraternity thing. But um, yeah, man, it's so much of what I did. But the the thing that I think is just most exciting for me is I have been able to recreate myself, reestablish myself as a as a real coach, and um, you know, not somebody that's just been, again just like. I did with Coach Donovan building the Florida program. I could have been just another guy. Sure, I could be coaching in college or coaching in the pros. But um, I remember when I made the decision to go this route, Coach Donovan, I talked to him a lot. And um, every time I see him, I mean, there you are, too. You know, he's been a great guy for all of us. But I remember he said, look, if you want to coach in the pros, you probably do great. You know, the problem is you'd want to play so bad. You're better than most of those guys. So once you get out there playing one-on-one and things like that, it's going to bother you a lot. Uh, the NBA is not the best players in the world. They have two or three superstars and then they fill it with the role players that they need that'll fit into their budget. You know, the best players, best, best players, you know, aren't all there. Um, second, he goes, you go to college recruiting wise, he goes, I know how competitive you are and um, you'll win at recruiting no matter what it takes. The only problem is sometimes doing whatever it takes, you know, it takes you a little far. Yeah. Plus he, he knows my integrity like how I am, I'm, I'm almost too honest. You know, I, I I don't know if I, you know, the way college coaching is right now, I'm not I'm not into some of that stuff they have to do. Yeah,
0: I'm, a, lot I'm not these, a lot of these kids need to be very pacified.
1: Yeah, and so, you know, for me, I, I don't know if I could walk into a young kid's house, sit down with his mom or dad or grandma, whoever, and say, I will be here for your son for the next four years knowing damn well at the very next opportunity for a better job in two years, you're out of there. Right. That's right. the whole goal, you know. And so for me, that would be really difficult. But Coach said, look, you know, with having – being first guy to go to Florida and start the college program at Florida, that will never change. Being the all-time leading scorer in high school, um, that, that will never change. You could do something with youth basketball on a grassroots level that changes and moves the game of basketball forward forever in Florida. And you could really leave your mark forever. And for me, that was just, again, very appealing. And I like doing big things. You know, yeah. what we're working on right now is I have, it's funny you say that, Patrick, is I have a program right now we're building where it's not just teaching kids how to coach like yourself, ex-players, but it's a true business model. You know, we have figured things out on a technology level. I've built an entire backend software system for myself. And we used to use 20 apps that had 20 features each. I'd use one feature on each app. I had a developer build it and put it all together. You know, we're experimenting with different type of um, uh, satellite leagues and things like that. But what I wanted to do was create systems and processes and tools for people that wanted to do what I do in the game of basketball or piano teachers or golf instructors or people on Zoom doing these types of trainings. There's a business aspect to it and um, through brute force. And I got through the first four or five years. I mean, I spent two or three years doing this commit, convincing myself how much I love it, eating a lot of eggs, you know what yeah. I mean? Living on a tight budget. And then we finally broke through. So we learned how to real social media advertising works. You know, we learned how to build a real team of, you know, outsourced people. And, um, now we have a, a, a turnkey system that anybody can plug right into and get a business started doing what they love to do. And so, um, you know, that's the next step for us because, again, a lot of people our age, you know, whether you play a long time or not, everybody wants to end up doing what I'm doing. Nobody wants to work a job. It sucks. It's is, there
0: a, uh, is there an avenue through that to, to help, help your boy with some public speaking? You know, you know, I'm thinking about doing some motivational speaking here, uh, possibly in the future, you know. Uh, definitely can talk, talk about that later on. That
1: sounds Let's pretty awesome. Right now. I'm, I'm, uh, I just remember Zach Hotkins. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. My guy. He just came on board with us a couple of weeks ago. He's doing private lessons. And what we're doing is we're building a brand for him. We're getting a book written for him. And, um, you know, it's the best business card there is. So we'll help him with some publishing. And uh, then what we're going to do is just train him up on, you know, how to do like the TED Talks things. You know, I've done hey. that. I think if you look over here in the corner, see that bottom corner right there? Yeah. What that is, is that's the first ever cryptocurrency Convention. I did that as like a TED Talks in New York in 2014. And so everybody knows what Bitcoin and Ethereum and all that stuff is now, but we did a big event on that in 2014. That was the first one ever. And so I took a lot of these you know developers and kind of nerdy tech guys and taught them how to speak, taught them what the flow is, helped them with their personal right. stories. So, uh, so much of that, Patrick, is about having your story nailed down, um, knowing exactly who you're talking to, but man, that's, it's all marketing. You know, it's really tough to to you're know, do a lot of free paid gigs for that. So you want to figure out another way to make some money and pay your bills and then let that sort of develop. Cause if you're very developing on public speaking to, uh, to make a living. It's just, it's just going to be a grind. It's just going to be a grind.
0: I got it. Yeah. I'm, um, you know, I'm currently out here in, in, uh, in Greece right now. And this podcast has afforded me a few opportunities that, um, I'm waiting to see if I can get with the team here in January, but if not, uh, I'm going to take my butt back home, see my family, uh, you know, pray, see, see what the Lord has next for me, and, and go from there. I definitely am going to make a trip down to Tampa. Um, you know, going back, looking at some of your, your, your highlights on uh, YouTube, it's just like, gosh, you know, such a disservice to the world because this guy could score like a machine, I mean, seriously, your game was ahead of its time, in my opinion. Uh, you know, your your ability to get your shot off, your ability to just be so fearless and uh, know what you can do. Well, not only could you score and shoot, you know, passing the ball so well. Uh, you know, you see guys now that are in, in systems and styles of play that are so much more fitting to what you provided uh, when you're playing. You know, what is how does that make you feel? Just like you were, you were, you know, that's when that's when they're still throwing the ball in the post and uh, <laughs> transitioning to that. Not that, you know, we don't need post
1: guys. We're not guys dead, need, you know, need divers, divers. <laughs> I always thought that anybody should play in the post, but nobody should be in the post. Hard dives to the basket. I mean, we, we've, we've been teaching the system. You know, my, my coach in high school was Tim Maloney, my freshman year, Tim Maloney. You probably know Timmy. Um, but then when I committed to Florida, He decided to go get some college experience at the University of Buffalo, and then he met up with me at Florida my freshman year. So I didn't have a coach my junior and senior year. So I think Coach Donovan asked his old high school coach, Frank Morris, to come out of retirement, come to Florida and coach me my last two years, and that's what he did. And he was one of the original people teaching the four-second shot clock offense, you know, the numbered fast break. The four-second shot
0: clock offense.
1: You remember uh, two guards, two forwards, and a center. You know what I mean? That wasn't long ago. Bird, you know, you got Ainge and DJ. You got Bird and McHale. You know, you got Magic and Byron Scott. You got Worthy and Rambis and Kareem. That's how teams were put together back then. And Coach Moore's put in, like, a, a lacrosse offense where guys had numbers and they had lanes. And what you were trying to do is streak to the basket. And even if you didn't score – you were forcing the defense. The only reason you didn't score sprinting straight to the rim is because they did something that was outside of their comfort zone. Nobody right. spends practice on defense. And as you know, you playing at the highest levels teaching transition defense, even to the best is by far the hardest thing to do. You know, the communication, the attention to detail, yeah. the full and total buy-in from everybody in every practice to get those reps. It's basically impossible. And that's why it drives me crazy watching these crappy college teams. Nobody pushes the ball. They allow teams to get back without communication. They allow them to get back slowly. They allow them to get back unbalanced and they don't expose them for it. They don't pass the ball up the court. You watch a college basketball game right now, every 99% of the plays, they dribble the ball across half court. No wonder nobody can score any points. No wonder everybody sucks. It's a 30 second shot clock now. If you're not pushing it up the court, how do you expect to get anything easy? How do you expect to put any pressure on the defense? How do you expect to expose their mistakes? But that's – I mean, it's everybody right now. Somebody's going to come into college and start pushing the ball, and they're going to blow everybody away, and they're going to change the game just like the Warriors did in the pros. Somebody's going to come change it in in college, you know, where you have guys dive into the basket. If they guard it, it's just like a screen. It's just like a beautiful V-cut. The only way to stop it is to guard the front of the rim, and then you screen yourself out. You You dive in, you screen out, it's open, pass it up the court. Do not dribble the ball unless you're going to the middle, period. Catch and right. shoot—the best shot there is. Just catch and shoot. I mean, it's so 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 simple. Well, but I was taught this at a young age. Yeah, I was so, going to uh, say a lot. A lot of basketball. kids
0: get into college, and and they're just playing in high school individual. It's not real basketball what, what they're getting. Uh-huh. They're playing. And they come. They come to the college level, and they get completely overwhelmed with the scouting and the, the terminology and
1: ranking. Being,
0: being a college ranking, being a college student. You know, a student first, then an athlete, uh, but you, yeah, as a big man, gosh, the things that drove me crazy is when you would sprint, you're like, oh, I'm going to get the ball. I'm going to sprint down court, work my butt off. You seal the, the, your defender, and the ball's getting walked up the court, and you're like, what the heck? Or, uh, you know, you get a rebound, and the guard is running straight to you to, just to collect. I'm like, no, like, loop. I want you to do a little loop action. So I can get it to you and we can make something happen. Yep. But, yeah, you know, I, I think that's something, uh, you know, why Florida had struggled these last few years is that they struggled with, uh, uh, you know, being able – how, how many games have you been able oh, to keep wow. up? Have you, oh, have wow. you had a, a chance to oh, wow. uh, connect with Coach
1: White yeah, um, a, a little coach. bit? I love Coach White, man. He's awesome. I like Mike. Uh, I think where Mike – I mean, just I, I've been close to the program since 96. And I think Mike will be the first guy to tell you I've been most involved out of anybody in the whole program over to over to long, long haul. I mean, I've been involved and I've been there and I've watched a lot. Usually when a new coach comes in, they clean house. Right. And you have a couple of tricky years. But then you got your guys in there. Mike did so well right out of the gate that he wasn't necessarily able to do that. They got some winning done. But then when a couple like gee, a couple of those guys started to move on, what ended up happening is then he sort of had to rebuild. You know, you did some recruiting. And so there were guys like O'Karu and, and Ballard, who I thought could have been a part of the program long term. Um, but just sort of the way they fit into the program while that transition was happening. So then you sort of lose them. You got a few grad transfers who come in. They're good, but they're not great. I mean... Yeah. He, he lost the entire the guys class guys that he
0: recruited. Yeah. I think it's yeah. an entire 2017 or 2018 class. They all
1: left or transferred from the, you know, lost yeah. four or five guys. But that's, that's okay. okay. That's, that's okay. But I think the, the biggest problem with the program lately has been that the guy Nimhard wouldn't do anything but dribble the ball. I mean, it just drove me absolutely crazy. It would take him four dribbles. It would take him four dribbles to get the ball to half court. We wouldn't get into anything until 12 or 15 seconds in the shot clock every single time. The other team could run incredibly efficient offense. I mean, they could push Man. and work you like crazy. Sorry, guys. They could work you like crazy, and then when they come down, and they just get to rest on defense. Yeah, yeah. Get Thirty seconds rest. You know, so nobody's ever tired. That, that's why we could never break big runs and put people away. That's why we could never close big gaps. And that's why the games were so close. And then you let luck come into play. And you're playing a small school. All of a sudden, they hit two or three threes in a row. There's a bad call. Oh, man, now you let luck come into play. You've got to take people. And from the opening tip, you got to beat the brakes off them. you got to take their will. You know, you cannot allow them to start to believe they can beat you. You're the University yeah. of Florida. Man. You need to stomp them into the ground. You need them to be scared to, to oh, man, we got to play.
0: Oh, No. Yeah.
1: We, yeah. we'd, be, we'd be teamed by 40 and 50 points. you got to run it up, yeah. you know, when you can. And with that attitude and with that mindset, you know, at any time you can break a game out. You know, if you're winning by five or six and you're getting in the huddle and you're upset that you're not blowing these guys out, I think that's the approach you need to take. Right. You know, not this 10-point 10, 10 lead with four minutes to go and take an air out of the ball. No way. Yeah. No way. The prevent offense doesn't work in basketball. Not in the basketball. Prevent, it doesn't work in football when you take when you take your foot off the gas. You, know, you can't hope the clock runs out. You gotta, yeah, you I know, can. Feel.
0: I can just remember Coach Donovan step on their
1: throats. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I'm like Coach playing basketball, but but I understand the premise. You know, it finish him to you go back. Finish. If you don't, it, it like like what you were saying. If you're not pushing the ball consistently okay maybe you don't get something every time but you open the door your percentage of getting easier baskets and then you bring conditioning into play because like you just said if if I just you know played you know ran down on defense we you know we ran through the whole set or whatever didn't work out and then they're gonna walk the ball up the court I'm like oh I get to rest for a second and then you know I got the energy to get back out again but if you know I know as soon as our shot goes up it's – you know, they're going to score. Somebody's going to score if we're not getting our butts back because they – you know, this team is running their lane so well. The yeah. point guard is is so aggressive attacking. And, yeah, that that really did hurt. Well, you know, like
1: play too. you push it up the court, they've got to sprint back. Faster. Yeah. And it is. It's body blows, body blows, body blows, even if they stop you. But then what's also happening is – they got to sprint back to the rim. So now they're starting their defense inside the three line. So you can operate your offense with spacing pretty close. You don't need any ball reversals to get into a scoring area for anybody to catch and shoot. Plus you push it up the court. Even if they do sprint back on ball reversal, is a college kid really going to sprint back ball side and then immediately jump to the ball when it swings to the other side so he can be a ball side help defender? No, he feels like his job is done. What about the big guy who doesn't get the ball and so he pouts for a second? Right. Pout for a second. I need to be past you, and now it's five on four. Yeah. I can't let you pout for a second, hold it. You take that one step back to the basket. Now there's five people in between me and the basket. So the whole idea of the outlet and the kick it up the court is to make sure you always have numbers. You always have numbers. If, yeah. if their players are trailing the play, but if you're not starting your offense, they already have five guys you know, in between you and the basket. You know, any defense is better with five people you know, in between. Right. And nobody, yeah, I mean, nobody, nobody does it. Nobody pushes nobody. it up the court. Nobody does it. Nobody passes it up the court. Yeah. Nobody. And it's I just, think, it's hard to watch, man. It's like hard to Like you watch. said, it's,
0: it's a, the root of it is a disconnect of, you know, younger players getting that IQ sooner uh, because good teams understand that basketball is about creating as many disadvantages as possible on a frequent basis. Because creating disadvantages gives you better tra- chances for better shot selection. But um, Patrick, I have I a question. Uh,
1: about this, if a team is really, really, really pushing, are you really going to send four people to the offensive of glass, or are you going to no. send two? So a big part of getting the ball on running is being able to grab rebounds. But if they're constantly sending four, I was watching a couple games. They, would, they had a point guard. Basically, they're also looking to clean up offensive rebounds. So now you're having to box out five guys for defensive rebounds because there's no risk of you pushing it down the court. They don't even have to think about floor balance. You can't play that way. You can't give the other team that, that many breaks. You, you got to make them specifically do something different. Two people back on defense. If you don't have two people back, they're going to score buckets. But it's a, it's a mindset. It's a commitment. And you have to do it every single time. That's what the Spurs have done forever. I mean, you look at the best teams in the NBA. That's what they do. And you got to look. 24-second shot clock is very similar to 30. If you're not copying those teams exactly, immediate ball reversals. If you don't have it, stop dribbling. Reverse the ball. You know, just (laughs) – They don't do it, man. They don't do it. it. It's ruining kids. It's ruining kids. You know, coaches don't have time to teach them when they get to college.
0: Let's – um. Let's transition. Uh, do you know, Jerome Millman by chance, my guy, the super Gator? Oh yeah. Yeah. He, I'm, I'm incorporating him in uh trying to incorporate him in each one of the episodes. You know, he's been following the Gators for so long and, uh, right. he's got a question for just about everybody. All right. Uh, so Jerome, you know, just want you to know that we love you first off. And, uh, here's your question. He, he, he asked you, Teddy, head coach D seemed to be a little bit tougher on you in practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think was the root behind that? Was it was it because he thinks he thought it could uh you could take it, you could handle it? Was he trying to push you and create adversity to or or, or what do you think the root behind him pushing you a little bit? And then you gotta transition and telling us one of your your craziest Billy Donovan stories. I like gave you a text message to yeah. <laughs>
1: prepare I'm gonna for take that. a different one because I know what you're thinking of, but you gotta understand how close me and Coach Donovan, you know, are and were, how close we were. In- an age, 16, 17, 18, he's 29, 30, 31. I committed early because I could do things in recruiting as a player they couldn't do, right? We wanted Mike Miller. I made sure to play on AAU teams everywhere Mike was. I'd go sit on the bench with the CMH team right next to him while the coaches couldn't say hi to me, unverbal. I'd go sit down and, you know, get his message or talk to him all the time. We needed him um, and we got him you know, and then the same thing as a player, I could do things. So we talked about recruiting in a way. And then when I got there, like I told you, there was so much pressure on us. You know, I think if you ask coach Donovan now, would you condition and train people as hard as you did our team? I, he said, he'll tell you unequivocally, no way I overdid it. Right. I wasn't sure I had to learn. He's 30 years old. What does he know? Right. Right. So, I think air on the side of over toughness plus I can be a real pain in the butt, you know, and I think being so small, you got to have that little man syndrome to, to get there. And I wanted to make it crystal clear to him that this was my team. And I think he wanted to make it crystal clear to me that no, this is my team. (laughs) And so uh, there were times where, I mean, there were, I mean, it was very dominant personalities. Yeah. And um, especially when I was a kid, Oh, my gosh. Looking back on it, I mean, I must have been unbearable. Unless you're on my team and then you love it. But, man, I must have been unbearable. I had to be so difficult to coach. But he did it. And so I, I remember – I'll tell you a story. I'll tell you the Maui story. So this is our sophomore year. And we always talked – you know, we had ten guys we played. We had five McDonald's All-Americans. It was always about you can contribute to the game in other ways besides scoring. We had guys that could rebound and guys with long defense. I thought to myself, well, lucky for us, the way I contribute is scoring. So we won our first <laughs> game against Utah State out there. Our next game was against Purdue, and they had another – they had a little white point guard, Carson Cunningham, who was really good. He could score. He had some stuff to him. So all the guys were amping me up before the game. And, ooh, you know, you know, you know. And so I came out, bam, scored. Boom, hit a three in his face. Boom, came down, scored again. And then I came down on an open break, and I was three on one, and I made it in and out, cross, like cross, but move this way. And kind of like, him. got an and one. It was uh, talking trash. They called a timeout. Everybody was so excited for me. I mean, Grant was pumped up. Everybody was so excited. Billy was so mad. He was so mad. Not getting off. It's not about you getting off. Stop! I oh, was so mad. He was so mad. And um I understand now. I understand now. At the time, I didn't get it. Um, just before that, in Weber State, this was to go to the Sweet 16. We we're in the NCAA tournament. We we're in Seattle, and um he called a timeout. We we're tied with. 12 seconds, 13 seconds left, something like that. No, maybe more than that, maybe 20, 25 seconds. So we were going to get the last shot, go to overtime or win. So he draws up this awesome play and threw the ball in. I just walked it up the court and just waited, just dribbled, just ran the clock out, forget to play. And I took the last shot and I missed. Oh, he was so mad. He was so mad. He was so mad. Oh, he was so mad. Everybody loved it. Oh, he's so mad. And so uh, we go to overtime, and um, I think we're up one. And same thing happens. Ball gets swung around, and I took a corner three. And um, well, I think that thing went in so perfect, like I wasn't sure if I airballed it or it went in. Does that make sense? Like it corner three. Eddie Gill was guarding me. I just rose up. Oh man, it went in, and it kind of put us at two possessions ahead. And they called a timeout. I came over. I go, how hey, you like that play? oh my gosh there was so much back and forth but um I mean I think that had a lot to do with it too you know I was just so difficult to coach not from a standpoint of like an uncoachable player but
0: it was almost I, like you, you had to one up and show like hey I'm I can do this like I am you know
1: just um, yeah, I almost, think, like right. you know who
0: I am you know what I can do like <laughs> let me yeah, go and, and do my thing <laughs>
1: And that's why in my sophomore year, everybody remembers that Butler game, first round, the Mike Miller buzzer beater. Right. I got the ball. I'm coming down the middle of the court. I mean, no way am I passing that ball. Drew the defense, I think, drew like three guys, and I pitched it to Mike and he scored. And I can send you some interviews. Uh, A guy did a little documentary on me um, a couple years ago, went out to Oklahoma City, interviewed Billy. And to hear him talk about that play, just talking about, you know, all the, the fighting you know that we went through the unselfishness and the willingness to pass that ball to make the intelligent play you know for us to win had I not matured to that point and made that play take that shot we, we lose in the first round and the whole thing might be over you know two years terrible one year sweet 16 here we are ranked top 10 all year to lose in the first round who knows what happens if that play doesn't happen I mean that's a Significant moment in history, and so I think that's why he was so hard on us. Because if he wasn't as hard as he was, if he was even a little bit harder, maybe you know I don't make that progression uh, to a leader and to a point guard to an unselfish team first type guy. Maybe I don't make that possession till the very next day, which would have been too late. Yeah. If that makes any sense. I mean, you know, so. y- you
0: know that that reminds me in a different you know different light. You know, you, I can't wait to get him on the show, Casey Prather. You know, oh, yeah. it took him three years to figure out his game and how he could fit into the, the role and to finally mature into the player that we all knew he could be, you know, if, if it wasn't for the struggles, if it wasn't for the the doubt and the, and the the fighting with, you know, not that he just fought with Coach Donovan, but he, but he just knew he had such a short leash because he ended up getting so frozen on wanting to be a three-point shooter. And again, it's not that you can't, but... What's the strong point of your game? You're six foot six, and you can jump higher than anyone. You can you can run, freak athlete, unbelievable. You know, it's like stick to what you know. You of course you're wide open, knock it
1: down. But other teams are seeing you take threes. They're like, woo, thank you. <laughs> what an athlete that guy, man! What a great story. He was the difference yeah. there at the end too. He was that extra was. piece that you always need. He, that's why you need guys to get better. You know, you don't He he was the reason we
0: beat Kentucky in Kentucky. I mean, so many games he won because of him and Scotty Wilberkin. And, and, you know, that, that tight niche team that we had, uh, yeah, I had a chance to interview Scotty on the show as well and, uh, talk to him about the adversity that he faced. You know, he went through some troubles, uh, from his junior year. You know, I, I I should have talked to Chris Harry before doing his interview, but I I completely forgotten that, uh, when Scotty got in trouble in his junior year, uh, he wasn't going into that summer, uh, that summer going into the senior, he, he was not allowed to, to practice with the team that whole entire summer. You know, he had to get up at 5 a.m. and train with Preston every single morning. Mm-hmm. And, you know, goodness, mm-hmm. if, it wasn't, if it wasn't for, and I, I asked him, you know, the, the, the things that you went through, of course, you, if you were writing your own script, your story, and you were God, obviously you, you would write things to go a different way. Uh, but what you learned and who you are now you know it, that's your, it's, its it's priceless it's it's invaluable of the maturity and uh, where he is now in life who who he who he became as a player uh finishing his career uh who he is as a man now uh, He's completely transforming the gratitude that he now expresses and I'm sure you you as well i mean we all do we yeah. all, gratitude is is the, like the number one life hack it it, it because we realize that you know. You know, there's so many things that we have that we did absolutely nothing to deserve and to have in this time, and it's been given to us.
1: Yep. Uh, Boy, Scotty was good, man. He came in so young. Right. You're right. No, we're doing a thing right now. So, uh, another thing we do is we do these leagues, right? And so, I do a three on three full court league, I do a five on five developmental league. Right now, we're doing a, a league. Three on three full court? Full court. Okay. full court. Okay. Full court. I continue the breakdown on it. It's great. That's something that can plug and play anywhere. You know, other academies can do it. If you wanted to set one up in Greece right now, I'd be able to fill it up for you. You'd go manage it. It's all, it's all streamlined. You know, it's all very structured. It's plug and play. You know, it's something anybody can do anywhere. Basketball league in a box, so to speak. But we're doing our 5G league, and this is our church league, and the 5Gs are to glorify God in everything we do, have an attitude of gratitude, you know, just have it all the time and truly be grateful for the gifts that we haven't earned, God's grace, the gospel, sent his son Jesus. He gave us grace for nothing. We don't deserve it. He gave it to us. But then the fifth G is grit. And so last year when we did it, and I did my devotion on grit at the time, it was one of the greatest economies ever. Everybody was flying high. It was last January. Uh, It really looked like our country was going to catapult to the very next level. All-time high stock markets, jobs everywhere, unemployment was all-time lows. And then this whole thing hit. But before that, I told the kids grit. Grit is the thing that you must have. You must intentionally have it. You must tell yourself that you have it. You got to be grateful for God giving it to you. Because grit is the only thing that's going to get you through those times where any reasonable person's going to quit. Everything's against you. Everything's gone wrong. You don't know what the next step is. It seems hopeless. The weight of the world is on your shoulders, but you got to dig in and have grit. Yeah.
0: How would you define have- grit? I would define it. It's just like, I don't know the answers, but today I'm showing up.
1: You gotta today I'm it.
0: pushing through.
1: You got to have it. And you got to have it, and Tomorrow, Patrick, before When tomorrow you need comes, it.
0: I'm going to push through tomorrow.
1: You gotta, what team, when times are good, it's like saving money for a rainy day. You, know, you got to develop that grit and, 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 and reaffirm yourself that you have it when things are good. Today's a great day. Everything, I just saw my family. My daughter just signed to go to college. Everything is going so good. These are the times I got to remind myself I have grit. God has given me grit because if you wait, you get. To, I will never quit, no matter what. Because if you wait for the time to actually make that decision when all those mm. circumstances are there, who knows what you're going to do? So you got to make a decision right now that no matter how tough things get, that way if they do get tough, you already made a promise to yourself. Yeah, and I think that's what grit, I think that's what grit is. You gotta you gotta hone into it, and you gotta focus on it every day. You can't wait till you need it to, to go get it.
0: Man, um, we got a few minutes left. I wish I had you for more, um, but oh, let's on, get hey. into it. Let's get into it. Um,
1: I'm coming anytime, buddy.
0: Yeah. Um, shoot. What do the people want to hear? Uh, okay. We we know, I mean, obviously I don't want to get into details of uh, things that happened in the past. It's not necessary. The past is, is there, but I would like to ask you uh, a few things, you know, going, going back to your time at Florida, uh, you know, first off, you know what was going through your mind as as you know you're you're leaving uh you know leaving and going into that next step or or, or just in the midst of that uh of of what's going on of, of how you know I'm here now I need to move forward uh, obviously the maturity at that time that you have now wasn't there you know no. if you could take if you can take yourself back you know how would you what was your mind frame at that time
1: so Again, I'd grown a lot. You know, that, that whole sophomore year, I t- played with a torn rotator cuff, completely, sh- completely shredded. And one time, Ernest in the dorms threw me a soda, and I could not lift my hand up to get it. It hit me right in the face. Everybody thought it was hilarious. But I played – I continued to play. You know, the whole SEC season, NCAA tournament, and then the day after. Then my so- – I came back. I rehabbed. Then my junior year, um, even in 2020, preseason conditioning, I kept complaining of knee pain. I thought my knee was killing me. And it was. I thought I had tendonitis. I even missed one game. I think it was against like Stony Brook or somebody terrible. But I actually sat out. That's how bad my knee was hurting. And I would never sit out. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Then one day I was getting trained in training. I was Chris was giving me some treatment and I sneezed and it hurt. And he he almost started crying. And you know, CK is not like the emotional guy, you know, put on some rolling stones, make some you know jokes at you. You guys are soft. You guys are weak. He almost cried. He said, I am so sorry. I have not diagnosed you right. I went and got an MRI. I had shredded my back, my L4-5. So the disc was all over. And it was actually borderline dangerous because I had like some bone floating around in there. If it got into my spinal fluid, I'd been paralyzed. You know, forget about playing. I'd had paralyzed. And there's nothing you can do to get that out of there. You can't dig into your spinal column. So they had Dr. Day who was one of the greatest neurosurgeons in the world. I remember they he, they said he did Mikhail Gorbachev's back surgery. And so he came in. I had surgery the very next day, and I was out definitely for the season, maybe worried about my, my career, you know, my overall health. And the next thing you know, we lost, and we lost again. Next thing you know, we're 1-4 in the SEC. So we went from being the number one team in the country to 1-4 in the SEC. We had some other injuries too. Um, so they asked me if I could play. Yeah. I said, yeah, of course, I feel great. So a couple games later, we ended up winning 11 out of 12. uh, Won the the SEC. uh, Beat Kentucky. Tayshawn Prince, Keith Bogans on the last day. Had 30 points. Was Brenton Major's senior night. I remember it was real emotional, and I was looking forward to my senior night the next year. That was going to be big. But, um, you know, apparently, you know, the first game back was against Tennessee. And I told people I was going to play. So it's really hard, even at this point, 25 years later, or whatever, 20 years later to, you, know, you have to go out there. You have to say, I apologize for what I did. You take responsibility. But it pisses me off a lot that, um, you know, my career and everything was taken. And they tried to brand me and label me that way. You know, it was ultimately, my friends are gambling on the Super Bowl. They bet on the Ravens to beat the so-and-so. Who cares? You know what I mean? Who cares? But that's how the media is. That's yeah. how the media is, and that's why they're crooks. You know, they start writing these stories about rumors, and nothing ever got out. If anybody knew what really was going on, they'd freak out. You know, they'd be like, are you serious? They did that to an actual kid, to an actual player. Um, but they did, and that's how the media gets going. And when you, people really know how the whole thing started and how the whole rumor started and everything, it's just disgusting. Um, but at the end of the day, like you said, what are my choices? What are my choices? Bring the whole damn program down? no way, man. I started it. I built it. It's my baby. And so I moved away and I figured I'd just go play in the pros. No big deal. Um, I did, you know, went to Phoenix first, played there, played great. Then got a job in, in Venezuela, uh, played great there. And then, how was uh, that experience? It's funny because this was 2002. Okay. Now follow me. 2002, 2002, follow me, follow me in Venezuela. I'm balling 30, 40, 50 points a game. Venezuela never won the South American Cup. Oh, 50, 60 points talking. Oh man, it was great. Oh man, killing these guys. And so I was there playing, getting ready because I was in the Chicago pre draft camp for that next year. It was in June. Their election happens. Hugo Chavez loses. Sort of. There was still a conservative party there, it wasn't all socialist. It was bloodbath, it takes the military, kills a lot of people, takes over the media, kills a lot of people at the president's mansion, takes over the president's mansion. Nationwide work stoppage, riot, pots and pans, people lighting fire, putting it under cars, blowing it up. Nobody's serving food. The U.S. Embassy had to come and get me out of there. So they came with guns, big guns. Got me in a car, got me to the airport. I went into the airport, it was all secure. There was nobody in there. I got on a big 757 or whatever by myself and flew back to Miami. I didn't even get all my luggage. Wow, 757 seven, by yourself? By myself. How, how
0: long were you, so after that, in, the, in Venezuela, after the, uh, the election or after your season was over, how long were you stuck there? No, <laughs> well, I got the- out of there
1: right away. I came back here and kept training. So the Chicago pre-draft camp was then in June. And so I got ready for that. I went there, I did great at that. And I think I was the leading guy for 185 on a bench press out of everybody. Uh, the fifteen really? by 15, oh yeah, fifteen by fifteen square. I have. I still have the all-time fastest time of anybody to ever go through the combine. Forward side, back around, go back. You know, you know it. Fifteen uh, around 15 around, around the paint. Fifteen by fifteen box. Yep. Nobody's ever done it faster. I cheated. I did a little <laughs> circle around it. People get too how close. You, how can you <laughs> cheat? Like, I make a I just did a circle around that thing. Whoa! Look at the time. i can't be right. But hey, I won. I won. And um, this is not really against the rules. It just wasn't a box. But then I ended up playing in the CBA right out of that. And um, I played for Rockford for, for 10 or 11 games. We were 10-0 and 0 or 11-1 and 1 or something like that. And I was averaging double-double. I had two 40-point games, two triple-doubles. I was the uh, CBA Player of the Week my first two weeks, CBA Player of the Month my, my first month. And then, um, you know, blew up my ACL. Mm. Seventeen points, 17 assists. Three minutes ago, into, you know, seven minutes ago, third quarter, I uh, blew up my ACL. I remember Olden Polonese was on the other team. That's what I bumped into when I did it. He came back in the locker room was like, man, you're one of the best players I ever played against in my life. You know, he had been in the league 20 years. He goes, I've never seen anything like you before, and you're going to come back from this. Um, so from there with a destructed knee, I had one semester left. I was actually ahead of schedule at Florida. The plan was to graduate in December of my senior year and then have nothing except basketball for my senior year, March Madness, so we could win it. So I had one semester left. Right then, I came back and I did my surgery at the University of Florida, Dr. Pete. UF took care of me in a big way, paid for everything my physical therapy, kept me under insurance, gave me a scholarship still, put me up housing, and I finished my degree. And I graduated then uh, in January 2003. So I'm a Florida grad. You can see it right there. I got it up. So I'm proud proud to be a great Gator. You know, there's, it's, it's, uh, it's unfortunate that I didn't get to finish, you know, it's really unfortunate, but um, at the end of the day, it's how God wanted it. There's no way I would be, you know, who I am without a few of those. Right. I told you who I was without being really humbled, you know, and, and I think things were going so good. Um, And I do believe God doesn't want to hurt you, but uh, I do believe he wants the best for you. And sometimes he puts things in your path that you just don't quite understand at the time. um, And they hurt and they're difficult. So you can either choose to be bitter and go in the tank and be a big loser, or you can take that adversity, turn it into opportunity. You can take what would appear to be negative and turn it into a positive and let that be something that pushes you through the rest of your life. So, you know, I don't think about it at all. Um, but I yeah. wouldn't be the man today. I would not be doing what I'm doing today. Yeah, had I not gone through that exactly the way I went through, so I'm grateful for that. And um, you know, it's eye opening because not everything is fair. You know, right? Not everything, not everything is fair. Man, sometimes you, you get yeah. that's, that's
0: part of accepting that there's not fairness in life is is being human. And you want you know we got a few more few more minutes left, and you know, at some point, obviously. You know, you you went through after Florida, bounced around a little bit trying to figure out. There's there's a point where you know you hit you hit a spot where you're like, gosh, yeah. You know what's next? How did I get here? You know, I got a lot of baggage. I, I wanted to go. You already spoke on it earlier with, with you talking with Coach Donovan. Yeah. But you know, going through your mind before you you reach out to Coach Donovan, you know, what are you thinking of, of recreating yourself? Because it's like you know at, at this point. For for all of us, for all of us that, that are athletes, and you know, there's some point where we're like have to transition from stop being an athlete to you know doing something else. And what was that mindset for you at that moment before before you came to the the academy?
1: It's trying tricky to figure that out. You can stop playing and actually being an athlete or a professional athlete, but you cannot stop thinking like that. And so it's really different. It's really difficult to distance yourself from that and become the next person that you're going to be. Um, You know, it's a roller coaster. It's a big time challenge. You know, my, my whole thing was to, to not so much, well, when I wasn't doing great, you know, I was making a lot of money. Um, I was working for this one big public company. I learned how to do some really, really cool stuff. I had a couple of sales jobs that were going to reward the best guy. And I was the best guy. You know, I was making a lot of money out there, a lot of money, Uh, but that didn't make me happy. It didn't yes. make me happy, you know, and then I decided to do something else in the company. I went out and did the speaking and I was out on, you know, this one day it was doing these three day events. Um, at first it was cool and it was a rush, but that didn't make me happy because I was selling people stuff that I wasn't quite sure if they'd really be able to thrive with. And right. it got me to see the same thing about recruiting, you know, am I really going to recruit a kid and promise him this knowing I'm lying to him? So I, I guess couldn't do that anymore. And deep, deep down in my, my soul, I wanted to help kids. So my, my long-term vision, when I was little, shooting baskets on my own in the street, I always wanted to have the Teddy DuPay Basketball Academy. I just figured I was gonna play in the NBA, become the biggest, most marketable star there was, period. I was gonna average all these points. My team was gonna be great. We were gonna win championships. I was gonna have hundreds of millions of dollars. And then I would start my academy. And so I think, you know, once that was in my head for a long time, what I did when I was done playing was I was trying to make this money so I could start this academy. And I remember before my grandma passed away that, you know, right, almost one of our last, I can see her face right now, almost one of the last discussions we ever had. She's like, Teddy, what are you going to do? And I told her again, it was the same thing I'd said before. She goes, baby, you don't need money to do that. You're going to waste your whole life. If you want to help kids and you want to do something special like that, do it right away. Don't wait. Man, it it hits so hard because, and that's why you need people around you who love you and will tell you the truth because it's so simple, right? It's so simple. And most of the great great coaching isn't to tell you new things or teach you new secret tricks. It's to remind you of the stuff that you already know. And um, just that little bit of advice, honest, truthful advice, like, look, you don't need money to do what you want to do. Just go do it. Skip that step and I was man it just it just it just hit me and so um so I did it and here we are you know here we are yeah i mean it's yeah thank you for sharing, you for sharing. Uh, that is uh,
0: you know really powerful it's uh awesome to hear that you took that step in pursuing something that you wanted to do for a long time and that you already had a vision for you just didn't exactly know when how exactly it was going to pan out and you didn't exactly know that it was going to be so fulfilling. So, wow. at, you know, and was it, was it like the first time or what was the moment where you were just like, Teddy pay Academy, this is, this is, or did you even start the academy right away or did you just start doing some individual so for, and for then you were years, like,
1: wow, this is what I'm, what I'm doing. I served, I served on a board of a nonprofit. And so they asked me to serve on the board the first year I was kind of behind the scenes helping them with some different stuff I had learned <laughs> to raise money. Then the next year, they had a hole, and, you know, they wanted to start AAU teams. They thought youth basketball would be a great way, start some leagues. So I helped them with that significantly, and they've been very successful. Then the next year, I had to coach one of their teams. They had a hole, and the team was terrible. The Bad News Bears taught them the same exact stuff. Next thing you know, we're 25-0. and 0. My dad came and watched. He goes, Ted, hey, that's unbelievable. I can't believe you're getting these kids to play this way. I saw these kids play two months ago. They were awful. Not one kid could make a layup. And now they're turning turnovers into bang, 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 balls popping, they're (laughs) running lanes, offensive rebounds, communicating on defense. He goes, it's unbelievable. And it was very fulfilling because I saw their confidence change. I saw their heads held high. I saw the way they started walking to the gym when they knew they were the stuff. I like that. I like watching other people, rubbing off on other people. Um, What made it tricky to become a business is there's not a, a great demographic necessarily for basketball training. You know, you see volleyball, you see, the baseball, you can pitch in the cage. You see a lot of businesses like that, but you don't see it for basketball. I want to do it because I love basketball. I'm an expert. Um, I believe basketball is a sport that anybody can get good at if they practice enough, especially with shooting. Um, basketball is neat because no matter who you are, no matter where you're starting, you can get better every day. There is no skill that you can't get better visibly, especially at yeah, the beginning. Definitely. Like We love programs for heavy people. They love it at first because they can see the result, those results that happen, you know, beneath the ground, beneath the surface that you don't see that you have to know are there. Those are difficult. You got to have a lot of, you got to, you got to have some character to know that that is happening. Those roots are built. You don't see it, but with basketball, you can see it. And I love that with kids. Plus we're teaching them the golden rule. Plus we're teaching them to have self-confidence. We're teaching them how to meet people. We're teaching them how to be a good person, how to be kind, how to look somebody in the eye when they're talking to them, you know, how, how to be a man or how to be a woman. How to be a confident person and shake somebody's hand, uh, how to overcome adversity, you know, what it means to work hard when the coach isn't looking, you know, having integrity. These are all things that I wanted to teach on a grand, grand scale. In terms of the basketball academy, though, how do you make money? So we went through, I mean, we tried this and then I tried this, then getting gyms was hard, and then you know, getting people to pay was hard, then having a website that worked was hard, then learning how to do the merchanting and a customer service, then learning how to do the advertising the insurance, hiring staff, hiring coaches, you know, like my dad's a doctor, but the hardest part he goes through is running his business. That's yeah. so why a lot of doctors don't do great. They make a lot of money, but you wonder like, how can they be paycheck to paycheck? They don't know how to run business. Right. So what we've been able to do just again, you know, looking at it, where we were, you know, four or five years ago, after a couple of years, of this, I, you know, I should have quit. And you know, even my parents are like, God, oh, what are you doing, Teddy? You know, why are you doing this? But I knew there was a. I knew there was a perfect blend in competition to make it work, and so we adjusted our model. and I looked at um, several different places that weren't basketball related, places like Orange Theory, places like Peloton, places like yoga studios. You know, people that were offering some sort of a, an activity or a service. And what I really did was take bits and pieces of their business model and try to weave it in. And so what we have now with the, with the trainings, the memberships, the lessons, the summer camps, the clinics, the charity events, we do the three on three leagues. So we do a pretty wide variety of things that reach a lot of people, but it's fun. It's absolutely fun. The kids get better. Once they're there, they never leave because they realize the type of coaching they're getting. I mean, unless they make it to the pros or division one, they're not going to get coaching like this. <laughs> You know, right. They're not going to learn these angles of scoring. They're not going to learn these little techniques. You can't learn this from anybody else. Nobody knows this but me, and the numbers back that up. So, I mean, I had a unique perspective. The funny thing is it's 8-, 9-, and 10-year-old kids that are getting it. And when our high school kids do it, they just blow people away. Our girls, if you watch a basketball game in Tampa, watch for five minutes, and you'll say, she plays for Teddy. So we were working with every team and uh, we oh, don't do a aut has got to so feel I, so good, man. Oh, it's awesome. It's so awesome, but we figured it out. You know, that's yeah. the same we just figured it out and now we have something that's really really cool and it's built to a way now that I can I can only help so many kids. I'm yeah. a band cool. I band loop tool, but now mean, that that's, I have real that's why you, you know this, you know.
0: got a guy like you got a guy like me that you can you can teach some things and I can try to do the same du- duplicate in a another area and and hope the have the same formula as,
1: God, as if you you. Did in Orlando buddy. I mean, right now I have people from Orlando coming to Tampa. Wow. If you want to do this in Orlando, um, if, and even this, if you want to set up a date that, you know, you're going to be here, right. If you know a date, you're going to be here. I'll, I'll set up some events and I'll get you some links and things like that. All, all the, all the technology stuff like that, registration links, follow-ups, I'll get all that built up for you. You pick a date and we'll have like a mega, a mega clinic or medic mega camp for you in yeah. Orlando. Yeah. And um, from that, what will happen is, you know, you get a lot of people excited, a lot of people interested, but then people will show up. And once they're there and they get to meet you and they get to just feel your presence, if that makes any sense. I mean, you're a unique guy. Uh, once people are around you, they want to be around you more. And it'll be no different with the kids. Lucky enough, you know, they know you played. I right. at you and tell you. And you can just
0: look at me as well. Yeah.
1: They, they they look they look at me and they're like, hey, where where's the where's the teddy guy? You know, I have kids that have no idea I played. Oh like, yeah. wow, cool Teddy, you got a nice looking shot. Oh wow, you can shoot a little bit. You see, I was like, Yeah, yeah. Did you ever play basketball? Did you make your varsity team? I'm like, I did. I did. Oh my did. god. So can you. So can you so but, I uh, get that? But it's you know, I'm just I'm a little old guy now. But I can still play. But um Of
0: course you can, tough, but uh
1: tough, man. And watch, letting your body fall apart, it's really, really hard. It's difficult to accept, and it's mentally frustrating. Some days you feel good, but the next day you don't. Um, what was frustrating is not being able to train at the level I needed to train to be as sharp as I needed and crisp as I needed to be in the games. So yeah. just your – I and mean, if you train that hard, then you can't perform as well. It is a difficult, difficult, difficult thing to go through, and everybody goes through it. Everybody goes through it. Uh, but you have the grit and know that there's something really cool for you. And, and the big plan for you is on the other side. Yeah. You know, the big plan for you isn't playing basketball. Uh, that was so you could gain experience and, and you know, push your body to the limits, use those physical gifts God gave you. Uh, but that's not your purpose. Right. There's nobody's to play a game and serve yourself. Everybody's main big purpose and calling is to do something that helps other people yeah. and, and, and you know, let's introduces people. So they have a choice of whether or not they want to have God. In captain and steering their ship, Absolutely. every kid, every kid should have that introduced to them. Um, they, you know, unfortunately, they wait till people have a devastating drug or alcohol problem, then they give them a Bible. They wait till they go to prison. What's the first thing they do in prison? They give them a Bible. I don't understand why we wouldn't be teaching kids uh, the weirdest, crappiest stuff in 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 school. And we're not teaching them about God. Yeah, oh, it's disgusting. These people that are in charge. These people are in charge. They drive me crazy. And I've had people ask me, will you run and will you do stuff like that? You know, depends how bad it gets. It depends right. how bad it gets. But if are you know, calling, on
0: man, list. if it's leading you lead that way. But uh, we got to wrap. Man, it, is, it has been an honor. It has been an okay. honor. I, I really wish we had more time. Um, but I want to just tell you I'm so thankful for uh, how you have allowed God to just transform you and – use your life as to to not be about yourself Um, it's really inspiring for me it's inspiring to hear what you're doing it's inspiring for me to know that i i am already even though i already know it that i'm more than a basketball player that i'm more than what i've done that there's so much more that i can continue to accomplish with my life and to make it not about myself as you have done and when you do that so many other things start falling in, in line I cannot wait to see you in Tampa. I will let you know as soon as I'm on a plane heading back to America. Anyways, it was such an honor having you on the Give me a dick, buddy.
1: The best is yet to come. The yeah, absolutely. Is come. Every, everything is good. So I appreciate you. Thanks for having me on. I love you, buddy. Go Gators. Yeah, love you too, my guy. Yeah, you have a good one.